entering the Freedom Hut. Over 2 million filing for unemployment last week. Numbers about to get a lot worse. We'll talk about that and also what's going on here in New York City on the front lines of the fight against coronavirus. We've got that and the political fight on Capitol Hill over this stimulus package coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great here, great America. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I want to thank the American people for answering the call, following our guidelines, and making the sacrifices required to overcome this terrible threat. More aggressively, we commit to social distancing. So important. Social distancing, such an important phrase, and we do it right now. The more lives we can save and the sooner we can eventually get people back to work, back to school, and back to normal. And there are large sections of our country probably can go back much sooner than other sections. And we're obviously looking at that also. People are asking, is that an alternative? I say absolutely. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. It's a day of a lot of mixed, uh, mixed news, mixed information coming in. Some that we can be positive about. Clearly, the passage in the Senate of the rescue bill is something that needed to happen. Uh, For a lot of you in other parts of the country, not yet that badly hit by coronavirus. I can tell you that uh, here in New York City, it is getting it is getting pretty, uh, pretty tense. That's a fair way to put it. Uh, There's some information about perhaps overall less, less of a long-term death estimate from this than what we had been told recently and gotten a lot of attention. But the first thing I wanted to get into today is the unemployment number. The unemployment number at, uh, rather, the the newly filing for unemployment at 3.2 million people. So this is just a a portion, and I think it's important that we all understand this. This is a portion of all those who not only are going to be unemployed in the next couple of weeks, because those numbers will also surge. We're just seeing a little bit of this, you know, going to see those numbers get even bigger. We are also not even seeing how big they are so far because there are a lot of people who are either part-time workers or gig workers or don't know how to file or are unable to file for unemployment because the lines, the queues are so long because there are so many people filing for unemployment. Look, my friends, we are in a fight. We are in a war. We're in a struggle. And it's not just against the virus. We're in a fight for the future of this country, a very real one. So we all need to somehow come to terms with that and that's where we are right now i'm i'm an optimist and no matter what i mean the rallying cry of this show is shields high and that is how we will approach all of this i do think we will be um through this at a point sooner than many of us are anticipating at least many of the catastrophists are anticipating but we got a ways we got a ways to go so this unemployment number is concerning and it's 
finally giving some people the opportunity, I think, to say, okay, now do we get to take seriously the damage that's being done to the economy? Now do we get to have a conversation about what are acceptable risks to take in order to get more people back to work? And I, I really do resent the crap out of it when I have uh, leftists, especially that come after me, saying, you know, oh, you just I'm in the middle of New York City in midtown Manhattan. And if going back to work actually happens, I'll be on the subway four times a day. So I'm in about as high a concern category for transmission in terms of somebody who might get this as you'd find uh, pretty much anywhere. But I understand that there's also going to have to be for those who are not. I'm not talking about people that are vulnerable population. I'm not talking about people with uh, pre-existing health conditions that would make the disease fight harder. I'm talking about the rest of us who have pretty good odds if we do get this of beating it. And that doesn't mean we're trying to get it, obviously. It just means that we're willing to take the risk because the risk, the systemic risk to the rest of the economy is horrific. And we keep thinking that the government is able to just, and I shouldn't say we think, this is really where the argument is right now. The government is going to be able to just make it all better. If only we had Joe Biden in charge. I mean, in a sense, I'm happy that the candidate that the Democrats are having to rally behind now is Joe Biden because it's so laughable and so deeply unserious that he would somehow wave a magic wand and this would some this would get a lot better than what Trump is doing is flatly absurd. And these people are deranged with hatred of Trump and his supporters and they're willing to believe anything as long as it happens to coincide with a pathway that brings them back into power. Whatever they have to believe. Joe Biden's great. Brilliant. Nobody's wanted him to be president for the last 30 years, including Democrats. But now they've got nothing left. They got nothing. They got nobody on the bench that they can put forward. And so they're going to tell us, oh, yeah, no, he's actually been great this whole time. You know, this is like those teen movies where they're kind of quiet, sensitive, slightly art- artistic guy, you know, gets the prom queen in the end. And, oh, he, I, I didn't even know you were here. We were just friends all this time. Right. I mean, that's kind of what they're doing with Joe Biden. Oh, sure. He's going to be great. These are serious times. They are concerning times. This is a period that none of us were anticipating. None of us really could foresee this. Um, And people that are pretending they did are just full of it. I mean, they're just that's just nonsense. It's not true. And we are really about to hit the full the full breadth and scope of this thing in the next couple of weeks. And those are going to be tough days. And it's going to be a difficult thing as you see not just the coverage of the body count. We have 250 dead in the United States in the last 24 hours. Overall, the U.S. has had 1,046 coronavirus deaths. And a metric that people are going to look at is, all right, on the, on the, once we hit what is believed to be a peak in New York, and if we were to extrapolate that out for the next three months, are we facing a much higher death toll than we do with the, with the overall numbers you see from seasonal flu? A lot of this is about trying to crunch the numbers to make calculations about the future to try to come together. And a lot of this, I think, is going to come down to whether or not we're able to put aside or whether we can get past some of the nonsense, some of the little squabbles that still happen day to day. 
and understand that we're, we're all actually we're all in the same boat, even even if some people in this country hate the other people so much that they wish they could push them out of the boat. They can't. We're all in this together right now. And we're trying to come up with realistic approaches. Solutions is probably even too strong of a word right now. Just realistic approaches to mitigate the severe economic damage from all of this. Right. That's that's where we are. Um, as well as solutions to mitigate the spread of this virus that, you know, is uh, is the, the pandemic that all of us were hoping it would not be. I mean, it's a question of degree now, whether not whether it is, in fact, a pandemic at all. So, you know, if I if I sound it all today, like I'm, I'm having a tough one. I mean, I think the country's having a tough one. And, and those of you that are in places that are barely touched by this, and I know there are many of you, uh, I, I, I don't say this. I don't say this lightly at all. Um, this is going to this is going to be a problem all over the country for everybody. Uh, this is going to be an issue in much smaller cities than New York. It's already very much in Miami and in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. It's starting in the major international transit hubs, and it's going to spread out from there. Now, there is that, uh, and I'll get to the Dr. Burke's analysis about how much of the population would likely get infected by this if we just allowed it to continue to spread without any measures. I think that was very helpful. But what do we think the country starts to look like in a month if we continue to think that the lockdown scenario, you know, keep in mind the president brought up opening by uh, opening somewhat. That's not a full open opening somewhat by Easter. All right. The president brought that up as a possibility, April 11th. And he's been shouted down and the media is furious with him. And, you know, oh, he's not listening to the experts. They always say he's not listening to the experts. And then the experts come out and they say, no, he is, in fact, listening to us. So maybe we should stop lying about him. Stop trying to create division where there is none uh, between us. So the president raised this and they say, oh, no, that's crazy. We can't we can't do that. And to that, I just want to say, all right, do they understand, though, if they really think that that's crazy, they need to come up with something other than nobody really, except for essential personnel, government employees and those who can telecommute work from home. Uh, they have to come up with a different plan than we all just stay on lockdown indefinitely. W- what does that lead to? They keep saying until we can flatten the curve. OK, so that means that. We understand that they're, they're going to flatten the curve because they're going to make sure that we are, you know, getting our hospital capacity up. But if we start going back to work, there will be some measures in place. There will be more spread of this virus. It's, it's not going to go away entirely. So are the calculations we're making playing into the sense people have because they're scared, understandably, that if only we wait this thing out for a month or two, then we won't have to worry anymore. No, this is going to be with us. This is going to be a disease that we have to keep in mind and have to take precautions against, certainly throughout this year. There's going to be a second wave, and I'm not trying to, I know we got enough right now. It's going to be a second wave in the fall. They already know that. So we're not going, you know, this is about getting us in a better position for the fight, but we're going to have to fight. And part of that is going to be going back to work at some point relatively soon and the people who freak out about that and say that you're trying to kill grandma 
are going to have to explain what they think the country looks like with 5 million unemployed, 15 million unemployed, 30 million unemployed, because that is a certainty. That's this is not just like a guess. If we stay, if the economy stays shut down, that is where we are heading. Just up and up and up in the unemployment ranks. I, I'm not saying that my numbers are, are accurate. I just I, I'm just guessing. I just know the numbers are going up and they're going to keep going up. They're not going to go down. So we need to start thinking about what that plan is going to look like. And we also need to ex- need to understand that this is going to spread much further across the country than it currently has. And there will be a lot more people who get infected. Um, I'm praying with every fiber of my being that this uh, azithromycin chloroquine treatment can bring down the mortality rate substantially. It's obviously not from what we've seen so far, some miracle cure where you take it, you're good in a day. But if it is just even substantially, substantially useful, I mean, if it could lessen the recovery time that people have, that would be in and of itself, that would be a major victory. Um, but I'm, I'm right here right now in the in the center of this. I, I am at ground zero. I mean, New York is ground zero once again. I'm right here. There's people. Uh, well, I was going to say people walking around terrified. There aren't that many people walking around. This is the most shut down this city has ever been uh, beyond maybe a day or two of preparation for a major storm. But, you know, that's a whole you know, you know, a storm will pass. This is with us. This is a new normal. This is a new reality. And so the more we can come to grips with that, I think, and not give in to panic and fear and a lot of the fear mongering that's going on. People are exploiting fear for their own purposes. We saw that with Nancy Pelosi. We see that with many of the Democrats. Notice how the Democrats are never running around saying, hey, Republicans, you need to be more calm about this. Why do you think that is? Hey, Republicans, stop, stop scaring people. How has this turned into a partisan issue when everybody wants it to go away? Everyone wants us to get better as soon as possible with as little loss of life and as little suffering. You know, just even having this being in the hospital for two or three weeks, nobody wants anybody to go through that. But why is it that the that that there is now a reliable partisan separation between those who are the most panicked about this? And those who are trying to take a more measured, centered view. It's because of politics, my friends. I don't have any, you know, I look around, I find a Democrat politician, a Republican politician. I'm sure they both love their grandmothers or, you know, love their family members. Depending on also looking at the age ranges here. I mean, obviously, I know that the older folks, we keep saying grandma and grandpa, but a lot of people in Congress are of the age where they're, age where they're in the, uh, the danger range for this virus. I, I think that they love their families equally. I just think the Democrats tend to find themselves pushing the more fear-mongering side of the argument because right now the administration, anything that is bad and scary and damaging is inherently hurtful to the administration. I really wish that this was not the way that this has gone. Uh, I wish that it was that moment when we all finally just understood there are more important things than, you know, Nancy Pelosi getting Planned Parenthood funding, which she doesn't apparently think that, you know, that that was so important that they had to slow this whole thing down of getting aid to people. 
but we're not there. So we're going to have a fight on our hands here, a fight against fear, a fight against irrationality, and a fight against dishonest partisanship that is not going to stop just because we're in the, in the midst of a crisis. But team, as, as always, I ask you to just rally with me here on the show. Join me in this psychological battle we're, we're waging as well. Um, and I, I assure you, we will be victorious. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The numbers that have been put out there are actually very frightening to people. But I can tell you, if you go back and look at Wuhan and Hubei and all of these provinces, when they talk about 60,000 people being infected, even if you said, oh, right, well, there's asymptomatics and all of that. So you get to 600,000 people out of 80 million. That is nowhere close to the numbers that you see people putting out there. I think it has frightened the American people. I think on a freely on a model that you just run full out, you can get to those numbers if you have zero controls and you do nothing. And we know that every American is doing something. And so I think what our job right now is, is to carefully detail on a hospital by hospital, state by state, county by county, to outline what the infrastructure needs are and ensure that we're meeting them, both from the stockpile and from the generosity and movement of the American people and other hospitals. The numbers that were used to form a lot of the journalism and informed sets consensus last week, some of them, I, I'm not going to say the numbers, I'm, oh, I should be specific here, some of the numbers, but the most prominently used numbers and models from a week or two ago are wrong. That is what Dr. Burks is saying here. There's a couple, there's a couple of places specifically where we need to focus. One is that half the country will be infected uh, with, with COVID-19. That's, that's one model that, that made, a, oh my gosh, everybody was, because that means half of everybody, half of seniors, half of vulnerable populations, half of everyone's going to get this, they said. That model was based upon looking at the growth in numbers and assuming no mitigation measures whatsoever, right? No lockdowns, not even all the public you know, health information about hand washing and, you know, better sanitary measures and all these other things we're doing and lock and, and uh, lockdowns of travel and all these different things that are that are helpful in this process. Um, and three cycles worth of just the, the spread of this as though no one cares and no one's paying attention. Yeah, if that happened, then maybe you could get to, to 50 percent of the country in 18 months or at least 12 months in 12 months of unchecked spread who thinks that's what's happening now nobody so why was that the number making the rounds but there's more bad numbers to, do, to address thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts Dr. Ajit Shah, who is the head of uh, Harvard's Global Health Institute, says that the key to getting this economy open as soon as possible is to test everyone who needs testing so we can quarantine all infected individuals and allow everyone else to go back to work immediately. Would you subscribe to that strategy? No, but I, I, and, we have tested more than anybody. I, I saw not, him. And if not, how many deaths are acceptable? Yeah. How many? None. 
Okay, how many deaths are acceptable to me? None. Okay, none. If that's your question. Look, uh, I saw him. I saw his statement. We have tested by far more than anybody. We're testing more than anybody right now. There's nobody even close. And uh, our tests are the best tests. They're the most accurate tests. But if you're saying we're going to test uh, 350 million people, I, I watched his statement. Uh, I disagree with it. We can go to certain states. I could name them now, but I'm not going to do that. But we can go to certain states right now. They have virtually no problem or a very small problem. We don't have to test the entire state in the Middle West or wherever they may be. Notice the way that the reporter here does exactly what you've been seeing from the, the left and from the Democrat activists and social media blue check journo brigades, the hive mind of the progressives in this country online. Notice the framing of this year that if you send people back to work, you're sending you're sending some people to die. How many deaths? How many deaths is acceptable to you, sir? Look, I got caught in this early in the week when I was just saying at some point we will. Uh, I'm speaking in reality. I'm speaking the truth. At some point we are going to have to. And everyone kind of knows this. Start sending some, not all people back to work. And that will come with some elevated risk of infection. Standing around saying how many deaths is acceptable is absolutely disgusting. It's stupid. It's childish. No one wants anyone to die. But what is okay? What is the alternative? Lockdown for six months? Lockdown for 12 months? What do you think the country looks like then? Nobody will say this. They just want to play little childish virtue signaling games. Nobody will tell the truth about this on the left right now because they're, they have two things going for them. Catastrophe, fear. Well, I'm going to say three things now. Catastrophe, fear, and destroying the Trump administration. All of these things they, they can exploit at once. This is what's going on. People are frightened, so they'll listen to all the fear mongering. And the more frightened they are, the more capable the media is of convincing them that Trump has done a... Uh, they thought, I'll get to this, they're actually wrong because the polls show people think Trump is doing a pretty good job. But this is where we are now. That's the media. I mean, the media is asking the president how many deaths are acceptable. Would you ask? I mean, just think about this in another context. Would you stand up there and ask the commander in chief, you've just ordered soldiers into action. How many of their deaths are acceptable to you? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, we don't want any soldiers to die, but we've, you know, as commander in chief, if the commander has actually made that decision to send them into battle of course there is a risk and all the warriors and god bless you and thank you who listen to this show know exactly what i'm talking about they understand there's a risk right i was sat down by the guy who ran my office in the cia the first time i went to iraq and he's like look it's unlikely you know you're, you're going to be doing analysis work maybe you know you'll get outside the wire here and there but he says, I just want you to know, and, and I would feel badly if I hadn't told you this, if I have to be the one who calls your parents, because he was going to be the one be the one who would, you could die doing this. There's a, there's a, a not insignificant possibility of you being severely injured or dying doing this, and I just need to tell you that. And I said, all right, well, this, this is what I signed up for, right? And it was a much lesser risk than a lot of you who are 
uh, out there door kicking and, and patrolling the streets, you know, a fraction of the risk. But it still was necessary to tell me you could die. Now, why play this? Why play this game as though it's a gotcha? How many deaths, President Trump, are acceptable to you? Zero deaths are acceptable. How many uh, how many lives ruined? How many millions and millions of American families dragged into destitution and despair because we think that it's better to do just a total lockdown as though we are facing a zombie pandemic that is destroying the world. We are not. That's not happening. This is why Trump is saying, let's not let the cure be worse than the disease. This is why Dr. Unitas, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but close enough. The smart guy at Stanford Medical School, that guy, this is why he's saying we don't want to be the elephant that in trying to escape the angry house cat that's scratching it, falls off a cliff. That's all that people like me are trying to establish here. Because the amount of fear propaganda out there, I, I, I guess you know, nobody, nobody should go outside. Nobody should do anything. And why should uh, people who are in the public health field, I mean, they, you know, oh my gosh, they're, I know that they're frightened with, with understandable reasoning here, but why would they even go and do their jobs if, if we're all just going to get this anyway? Right. I mean, why would they even continue to show up for work if the world is actually ending? I mean, the amount of of anxiety and panic that is being induced right now is counterproductive across the board. We all understand that this is bad news, but we also can't accept that there's going to be a shouting down of anybody who tries for measures that balance out the various risks and equities here. Life is the single most important principle, the defense of life, which, by the way, the Democratic Party with the defense of life as they're as they're holding up, getting money to millions of people that are without it because of the government's mandate. And then the Democratic Party is like, we got to make sure we get money for Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood saying we're only going to do one thing, at least in some places now it's going to be abortion. But it's only three percent of what we do now. It's 100 percent. But, yeah, they care so much about life. Sure. Meanwhile, they make arguments all the time about how abortion is justifiable entirely because of really the preference of, of, a, of, a, uh, of a woman, right? It's, it's what's convenient for one's life. That, that is the argument. It's an argument of convenience. It's that this is what somebody... Anyway, I, I just, I, the hypocrisy around that I, I find particularly, uh, particularly galling. But... On, on this issue right now, there's also some numbers that need to be reevaluated and looked at. Remember the guy, uh, uh, Neil Ferguson, not to be confused with Niall Ferguson, who I think actually you call him, I think his name is pronounced Neil as well, N-I-A-L-L. He's a fancy British intellectual guy. This is a different Neil Ferguson, uh, but looks similar enough in the name. He was the epidemiologist who predicted uh, recently, and this came out, and it was in his modeling that was given to the United Kingdom. Uh, he's at Imperial College London, and he gave evidence to the UK Parliamentary Select Committee. Now, you might say, Buck, well, this is London, this is England. Yeah, but this was used... Um, this was used across the board in the media. Um, this is a guy who initially had said that there could be in the United States, if you take the analysis that he did and you extrapolate it out, he said 
2 million Americans and 500,000 Brits would die from coronavirus. That's what he said. And that was, I think it was last week this came out. And everyone was, was and this is where you get people saying, you just want 2 million Americans to die. Why do you not care more about the 2 million Americans who will die? As if anybody doesn't care about 2 million Americans dying. I mean, I'm concerned every day about the people I love the most in the whole world because of this. And I'm in the middle of it. It's going on around me. I could hop in a cab. I could walk. Forget hopping in a cab. I could walk and go to a hospital ward right now full of people who are on ventilators and having difficulty because of COVID-19. And I could probably go and I'm obviously, you know, this we're all supposed to stay inside, but they're setting up these additional morgue spaces i mean it's it's bleak all right i'm right here in it so when the blue check journos who are you know out in long island or you know sheltering in place in in park slope brooklyn or whatever and they're telling me oh you know you don't understand i'm like i understand this as much as any of you i'm right in the middle of it too two million americans dead from this Five hundred thousand brits that's what this guy was saying well he just he just did a reevaluation based on new numbers do you know what he thinks is, uh, is likely in the UK? 20,000. 20, that, that's as of this week. This is the, remember, we're supposed to listen to the experts. And you're always bludgeoned with this, as though the, the experts, one, are never wrong, and two, you're not allowed to have opinion about what the experts say. I'm not challenging experts on, hey, you know, multiplication, division, average, uh, you know, averaging things out. That doesn't work. But you have to look at the full spectrum of what they're saying and what they're assessing. And they're also not policy wonks necessarily. I mean, some of them might be, but the epidemiologists we're seeing, they, they look at one thing. They have what we would call in the CIA a soda straw view. You just see, you see one thing, you can see that clearly, but you're looking at one thing. They don't have the full picture and they're not empowered to make decisions based on the full picture. But how can I sit here and not feel like we are being led astray in our risk analysis when the media last week was running all over the place with this two million Americans will die from this from a guy who just reassessed his number for the UK from 500,000 to 20,000, which, by the way, 20,000, you know what that is? If that's true, he said it could be less than that. The uh, middle of the range flu season in terms of death. That's what that is. Now, you're adding, you're adding essentially, if it, let's assume that's true. You're adding another flu season on top of the existing flu season. This strains resources. This puts hospitals beyond capacity. This is still very serious. There's still a real problem here. But the difference between 20,000 Brits dying from this and 500,000 Brits dying from this is a tough time that we rally together versus, or in the UK, they rally together, versus Mad Max... You know, grab your gold bars and your ammunition and, and head, for the, head for the mountains and don't come down for a few years, right? I mean, th- this is a massive differential. One week, two weeks, make this distinction. So can we ask questions without being told that we're trying to kill grandma? <sighs> yeah. it's, it's just... Here we are. We have we have so much information, so much communication, have all these technological advantages that generations before us didn't have. 
And it really does feel sometimes like people have gotten stupider and more vicious as a result of this. It really does. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It's going to be with us for months. Probably more than half of all New Yorkers will be infected with this disease. Thank God for the vast majority. It will be a very limited, mild experience. But for a lot of other people, it's going to be really tough. And we're going to lose some people. And our job is to make sure that we save every single New Yorker we can. We're all going to have to work together to do it. Every one of us. Has half of of any city yet, including... Wuhan, I mean, has, has any city reached a 50% transmission of this disease? Why is Bill de Blasio, I mean, Bill de Blasio is the worst. He, he really is. And you know that I've been, I've been fair-minded, as fair-minded as I can be in my assessments over where this is with regard to, over how Cuomo is doing and, and Gavin Newsom. I think Garcetti, the mayor in LA, is a little bit worse, but Gavin Newsom has, look, I don't agree with everything, but the guy's approaching it with seriousness. He's not playing stupid partisan games. Usually, he's absolutely horrifying as a governor, but right now, there are more important things going on, right? You know, it's, it's a little bit like, uh, there are certain things where you feel like we're all Americans, we're all on the same team, we all get it, you know? And I, I mean, I still remember, I mean, this was a moment for me where, and I don't know if, you know, it's just the truth. Some of you may, may or may not think that I'm, remembering things the way they really happen. I remember, I mean, I was not just happy that we got bin Laden as a New Yorker, as an American. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, high five for Barack Obama that, that needed to get done and he got it done and he made, you know, he made the right call and we could talk at, at length about whether it was a gutsy call or it was an obvious call. And the seals, the ones who actually did the hard work there. Thank you very much. But you know, that was like, we're, we're all American first and that was one of those days. It was just one moment in time, but I was like, good job, Obama. That was pretty great, you know? Well done. You'd think that when all of us are facing a pandemic disease, that would be the mentality that people would have, which is that things that are good, we say are good. Things that aren't going well or that are bad, we can just be honest about that. But the amount of uh, nonsense, partisan crap that's going on right now, it's just mind-blowing. I mean, this country could actually be invaded by a foreign power. I really mean this. I mean, North, if North Korea sent its land army and i know this is a crazy this is like the red dawn remake or whatever but if north korea sent its land army and it landed in california there would be reporters at the los angeles times i think he'd be like this is because of trump's provocations they really would you know instead of saying all right america rally let's go kick some let's go kick some butt let's take care of these uh let's take care of this invasion no they'd say that this is trump's fault no they just can't help themselves that's that's who they are that's how they are now and you're seeing it with this, with the way that the journalists are covering the Trump administration and, and you know, just trying to maul uh, publicly. I mean, I, I don't care. They're morons with no integrity. I, re- I have zero respect for them. I mean, I think CNN is really now about as reputable and decent as Gawker was. So, you know, they're idiots and, and, I, and I don't care except for how they're able to still influence other people's opinions in a way that's damaging and problematic uh, their opinions do do not matter to me. And in fact, I think I wear their contempt like a badge of honor. Uh, but I'm just here. We are three point two million people asking or, you know, filing for unemployment. Three point two million people. 
it'll be another three million or more next week and the week after that and the week after that the economy is activity and we have frozen almost all activity this has never happened before in the history of the modern world and libs are just saying if you have if you have questions about how long we can do this before then you want grandma and grandpa to die oh it must be so oh it must be so gratifying to just virtue signal like this to preen about how wonderful and thoughtful and decent and smart a person you are if you take this completely idiotic position but it's all over the place now thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts so I think if I were writing your headline, I'd say the Senate has pivoted from one of the most contentious partisan periods in the nation's history to passing this rescue package 100 nothing, all in one quarter of this year, from arguably the most partisan, divisive thing you could possibly do to coming together entirely, 100 of us, to meet this challenge. I guess we're supposed to celebrate this i feel more like we expected it and it shouldn't have taken this long does the senate really deserve a pat on the back for coming up with a relief package after the united states government really and and the government overall at all levels federal state local has shut down all business because of a pandemic virus this is doing their job isn't it I, i think the celebration here is uh, a little strange. I think that maybe that's the only approach that look, Mitch McConnell was just trying to get it done. I understand he's trying to deal with Senate Democrats who have no integrity to protect. And so that gives them a lot of latitude to do whatever they want. But this, OK, it's going to help. I've bought, people that are asking me, what do you think of it? It's imperfect. It's not going to help everyone. It's not going to be enough money for some people. It's it's a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. That is what this is. Gaping wound on our economy. So we should all be clear on that right now. This is not like, okay, we're good for 60 days, 90 days. Oh, I wish. I wish we could all have a 90-day government-funded stay-at-home period to get past this whole virus, right? I really wish that was the case. People that are looking at this honestly understand that it's much more likely that we're going to have to see another relief package by about the middle of the next month. Right around when Trump is talking about the possibility of some of us going back to work, they're going to have to do another relief package. Pelosi's already uh, already discussing this. Uh, others have already now look the house still has to vote on this but it, my understanding is it's all agreed on i watched some of nancy pelosi giving a press conference this morning and no surprise but guess what nancy pelosi thinks that you know she she did a great job here she really got everything she needed and the republicans were the bad guys nobody with an iq higher than a toaster thinks republicans are the bad guys in this the Republicans worked with Democrats to come up with a bipartisan bill. Nancy Pelosi showed up at the 11th hour, started demanding all kinds of stuff. And turns out that the bill in the end was pretty close to the initial bill. There, there's, there's some bad stuff in here. I mean, I say bad. I mean, there's some stuff that just makes you say, 
is government just it's just people are greedy and self-interested, including those in power, more so often those in power. So I guess maybe this never changes. But, you know, the twenty five million dollars for the Kennedy Center, which is a performing arts center in D.C., a favorite place for the D.C. elite. It is, you know, if, if you're a really important player in D.C. politics, you know, you got to go to your box at the Kennedy Center. Um, fun fact, my mother used to be a dancer, a ballet dancer at the Kennedy Center, professional dancer. So there is a fun fact about the Sexton family. Um, but the Kennedy Center is no more deserving, <laughs> no more deserving of a twenty five million dollar bailout than any other theater out there. There's a lot of them. And if people want to help theaters, I'm all for it. I, I live very close to a lot of Broadway theaters here in New York, and they're going to be in very rough shape. The rents on those places are astronomical. You know, this is where you're going to get into a lot of econ 101 for people, because I'm seeing people say, look, if you're if you own one or two single family homes as investments and you're reasonably you're, you're in reasonably good financial shape, can you probably uh, waive or, or at least hold back on rent for a couple of months here? Maybe you collect it all down the line and work it into an elevated rent schedule going forward. Maybe you just take the loss on the month or two. Sometimes, you know, landlords will give a month free. This happens in New York so that it doesn't affect the actual rent price, but they'll give you a month where you don't have to pay rent as an inducement for you to move in the first year. So, you know, usually people have some, look, all, all rents are a negotiation or started out as a negotiation, then they become a contract, but sometimes you have to amend the contract. What I'm saying is there are some people who are probably going to be able to say, all right, look, you've been good tenants. And by the way, I think this is the right move for those who can. I think this is the ethical, considerate, and decent thing to do for those who can. What about situations where someone has a mortgage payment for their home and a mortgage payment for a property that they own and they need them and they've lost their job you know their business is crushed maybe they own a bunch of restaurants i don't know i mean there's so many tens of millions of people that are affected by this very negatively that you can come up with endless scenarios but what do i say to the person who is being told well just waive the rent for your tenants in that house that you own because they lost their jobs what about the guy who owns a house saying, I got a family, I got three kids. My, my life savings was this other property that I'm trying to build as a, you know, as a nest egg. And I, I, I waved the, where does that money go, right? Or what happens now? So it's very complicated. It's not as easy as just, oh, all the landlords should let people stay rent free. Uh, of course, my building is not waving. They're not delaying. They're not waving. You know, here in New York, it's a lot of give me the money. But I, I understand that this is going to be very complicated to unwind economically for a long time. And we are it is incumbent upon everyone to understand that this is not anyone's fault. And a lot of economic activity. And this was certainly true of the financial crisis. And what made people so upset about the bailout in the financial crisis was that Wall Street firms were acting poor. They were acting poorly. They were being greedy and they um, you know, were, were leveraging certain things in a way that they look they they knew the government was was backstopping them they knew that the you know entry of fannie mae and freddie mac into this market meant that the government was effectively guaranteeing all these and i don't want to get into the, too deep in the financial crisis but what they did was gross and some of them went bankrupt lehman brothers so it's not like all the firms were fine but goldman sachs got bailed out 100 cents on the dollar and that just struck people as wrong because there were a lot of greedy people 
at the, you know, well, at many levels of Goldman Sachs, but certainly at the top, who made a whole lot of money. And then finally, you know, the music stopped. And now we're being told, well, they get to keep making a lot of money because otherwise the whole economy melts down. That really stung. I mean, that was a look. It was a very effective class warfare point because there was so much truth to it. It led to the Occupy Wall Street movement, which some of you will remember. It's really right around the time that I got started in media. So I have a lot of memories of uh, of Occupy Wall Street, spending time down there at Zuccotti Park. But this is not that. No one who has lost their job because of coronavirus did anything other than just be a human being in America at this point in time. So that's why we are trying to figure out as a society how to deal with this. But the government rescue package, bringing us back to that, is not sufficient at all. And everyone knows that. So, as I've said, this might be buying us time. We have this, this uh, now this concept of flattening the curve. Everyone's heard about it. We also hear about social distancing. This is a little bit of, a, of an aside. Why don't we just call it distancing? Practice distancing. We, we know what we're talking about with that, right? Let's just do distancing. Social distancing? It's the opposite of social. It's really antisocial distancing. Am I the only one who thinks this? I know. Maybe it's, you know, potato, potato, but... No one says no one says potato. No one says tomato unless you're from the UK, in which case we got a whole lot of other words to approach like herb. What's up with that? Silent H. We won the war. We get to say silent H. So this is why I'm, I'm concerned about the mentality of people that are assuming that this is a point for celebration. This is just flattening the curve a little bit of our of our economic catastrophe meaning that it's going to spread it out a little bit it's going to drag the economic pain out or rather it's going to drag out the situation now of figuring out that we can't keep doing this right it it extends it buys us some time but you know the the unemployment numbers are going to keep going up and this is just funding people as those numbers are going up and the anger that people have might be a little less than it would otherwise be, but eventually we're going to reach a point where people just say, we can't do this. And there's no, uh, there doesn't seem to be any recognition of this among Democrats. And the president um, has been pretty, pretty clear about why he thinks that is. And this is where you're going to see the most, I think really in some ways this will be the most epic fight political fight put aside the virus and the realities and the fears and the deaths and that's all real and we've been talking about that the first hour of the show now i'm talking about the politics around this the economics involved and this rescue package and what it is showing us and the most in my opinion vicious fight of the trump presidency between the president and his unhinged opponents is going to be over this issue Think about what they were able to do with Russia collusion. They took something that wasn't even a thing. And I mean that it didn't even there was no Russia collusion. How many times did we have to talk about that over the course of about three years? It might have been the phrase that was uttered more by the media than anything else other than Trump's name. Russia collusion. There was no Russia collusion. We wasted three years of time with the media obsessed with this while the economy was booming and unemployment was super low and things were great. And they were able to conjure up this this dark and this ominous situation of America on what was just a lie. It was just a concoction. Coronavirus is real. This is a real problem. They say that Trump called it a hoax. That's a lie. He never called it a hoax. 
but they lie about him all the time. But the media is going to try and get away with rooting for failure here and with pushing the negative to the public as much as possible, in part because they are, I think they believe it. I'm not going to pretend that there's not, to some people in the media aren't assuming that we're going to have millions and millions of people die here. I think there are some. But largely, and I think this is the bigger part of their motivation, uh, largely because they want to harm this president. They want to destroy this presidency. And this is what the president is now saying. Play clip 12. Is this Easter timeline based on your political interests? Because you tweeted, you said that the media wants the country to remain closed to hurt your. No, no, I think the media. Yeah, no, the media would like to see me do poorly in the election. I think. I think lawmakers and economists both sides of the aisle have said that reopening the country by Easter is not a good idea. What is that plan based on? Just so you understand, are you ready? Mm -hmm. I think there are certain people that would like it not to open so quickly. I think there are certain people that would like it to do financially poorly because they think that would be very good as far as defeating me at the polls. And I don't know if that's so, but I do think it's so that a lot of that there are people in your profession that would like that to happen. I think it's very clear. I think it's very clear that there are people in your profession that write fake news. You do. He's right. They hate him for speaking the truth and other Republicans wouldn't be willing to say this certainly not other people that have run for the republican uh, run as republicans for the presidency in recent in recent uh, decades they wouldn't be willing to say this but trump is right you can already start to war game out in your head what the preferred outcome is for many on the left total lockdown government funding everybody massive expansion of the debt until we're at you know 30 trillion 35 trillion and people forced to be enormous uh, numbers of people in this country forced to be dependent on the government a lot of pain and misery and despair and then they can oh and then we get into july august september what do you think they say it's all trump's fault joe biden will fix it joe biden will put america back together and then they'll be willing to have discussions about when people can go back to work and when things can get more normal. But it'll all be blamed on Trump. There'll be a massive expansion of the federal government, uh, the federal government debt and also just government power in the meantime. There'll be a shift in our thinking about politics for a lot of people because they'll say, OK, so really the government is the economy and whoever controls the government, therefore controls the wealth of this country in its entirety. And. You know, they're just going to enlarge dependency and the government is no matter what the answer to these people. So no matter how bad things get, they'll just say, well, it's because we need different people in charge. It's not that we've decided to overestimate the benefit of extreme lockdown measures for long periods of time versus what the damage will be to the economy. But you can already see, I mean, there are journalists who their preferred outcome here. Uh, and it's sick. I mean, it's, it's wrong. It's gross. But their preferred outcome is lockdown deep into the summer, right, you know, right into the, the height of election season. And then the Joe Biden campaign story becomes a resurrection story and saving us from the evil of of Trump. Blame it all on Trump. Look at how terrible things are. The economy's in, in shambles. They know that this is. A, this will be a, a political benefit for them. And 
what it does to the country in the meantime, those of you listening to this, and I know there are a lot of you, there are millions of you, those of you who are hearing this across the country who are in tough uh, economic situation right now, who can't pay your bills, uh, the people that are in the journalism community that are asking the president questions like how many people are okay with dying, they don't care about you not being able to pay your bills. They don't care about your life being ruined right now. They just, they flatly do not care. And they'll pretend, they'll pat themselves in the back and say, no, they're just concerned about your safety. Oh, oh, okay. They, I, I, they, they didn't seem nearly as concerned about anyone's safety while the H1N1 pandemic ravaged America in 2009 and killed 40,000, 50,000 people. Hmm, might have been more than that. I should check the number. But now they're really just concerned about safety. No politics here. If they were believable human beings, if they were honest and they had a record of, of being fair, then I'd be more willing to hear them out on this. But no, they're not. Our, our media is a disgrace. And, and polling shows that the American people, by and large, recognize that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And now I find that some of my Republican colleagues are very distressed. They're very upset that somebody who's making 10, 12 bucks an hour might end up with a paycheck for four months more than they received last week. Oh, my God. The universe is collapsing. Imagine that. Somebody who's making 12 bucks an hour now, like the rest of us, faces an unprecedented economic crisis with the 600 bucks on top of their normal, their regular unemployment check might be making a few bucks more for four months. Oh, my word. Will the universe survive? Bernie Sanders is such a worthless demagogue. It's amazing that he's number two in the Democrats standing, but that's where the party is, I suppose. What he's saying here is he's totally misrepresenting the situation. He ended up going along with what Chuck Schumer wanted anyway. That it just doesn't matter to these people. I mean, it, they so much of what politics has become in this country, and maybe this has been true of politics for a long time, is what it does for the person who is making the case and what it, what it feels like to be supporting that person who's making the case. Uh, and this is why so many of the defining characteristics of, virtu- of uh, democratic politics, as we talk about here on the show, virtue signaling, hypocrisy, because it's just all about, you know, yeah, it d- doesn't matter what's, what's fair, what's true. It's, it's all about how does it make you feel when someone says that and you support what they're saying? You know, how does it make you feel when somebody gets up and tells you that all you have to do is believe that the good, smart people listen to the experts? Anybody who knows anything understands that. What, what does it even mean to listen to the experts? There are people ask an economics expert any question and then I'll have another economics expert take the opposite answer. And then you tell me, what do I do? I'm just supposed to listen to the experts. But. And Bernie Sanders is just, he's a buffoon. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, as you know, I'm not a Democrat. There are a lot of things that Democrats do that drive me crazy. I, 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 I couldn't, I mean, I watched the first Democratic debate, and I just looked in, at wonderment and had, at how far left Twitter had pulled the party. But there is no doubt, if you're talking about the party of life right now, right. as uh, the American conservative wrote, right now, these conservatives 
are making uh, Democrats who are pro-choice actually look more pro-life because they're only worried about the unborn. It is the born. It is the weakest among us. It is senior citizens who they're ready to euthanize. It's so ugly. It's so unfair. It's so disgusting. Jeff Scarborough is such a moron. Oh, my God. They pay him millions of dollars in MSNBC. You know, I'm, I'm not a Democrat, you know. Yeah, you just carry water for them every day. Help them every single day. You tell Democrats watching. Who watches MSNBC? Democrats. Why does Joe Scarborough think he's so palatable to a Democrat audience? Because he is an apostate to the conservatism that he pretends to believe in. He is an apostate for the ideology that he claims to have been a supporter of back to when he was a member of Congress uh, in Florida. But this is the, this is essentially the, the distillation of the argument. Yeah, Republicans just want people to die. It's just as stupid as the argument over climate change when they say you don't care if the world ends. Maybe I just disagree that the world's going to end because of cow farts and what I'm currently breathing out when I'm doing a radio show. Maybe I disagree with that. And maybe there's a lot of good evidence and information to support the, my skepticism of the so-called scientific consensus around that issue. Remember, Democrats believe that there's a scientific consensus in climate, uh, in climate change, but there is no scientific consensus on whether there are two genders. That's just a fact. Uh, they, they don't think there's a scientific consensus on that. They also think there's a consensus of experts on what to do now. Really? Well, why every country is taking different kinds of approaches to this. So what is the consensus is locked down? OK, OK, fine. Listen to the experts. Consensus is locked down for how long? How long do the lockdown? What does lockdown mean? Can no one leave their home? Should we lock people up in prison who leave their homes? What's an essential business? You know, they, they try to distill this down to very uh, easy slogans to chant to appeal to the mob mentality of the left. They don't they don't ever get into. Well, no, there are still tough calls to be made. There are still decisions that we have to look at. And we have to see what's really going to happen as a result of the things we're already doing. And then there's some uh, at some level, there are the expert. Wait, wait, I'll, I'll before I'll, I'll get back to my experts thing. Um, here is the complaint over the bill that it was incentivizing people as it was to not work if they could work. So here's Senator Rick Scott talking about that. Play 18. We've got to help them. But the we've got to help them. But the moment we can go back to work, we cannot create an incentive for people to say, I don't need to come back to work because I can do better someplace else. These employers are going to need these workers to rebuild this economy. Uh, so we cannot be paying people more money uh, on unemployment with it than what they would get paid in their job. Uh, so I'm very supportive of this amendment. Uh, it's, it's the right thing. It's like what uh, Tim said. People want to work, but don't create the wrong incentive. And you're, if we do, we're going to hurt a lot of businesses and a lot of families uh, in this country. It's just about making sure that the bill incentivizes people to continue to work if they can to create economic activity instead of relying on the government to send them checks. But, you know, Bernie Sanders and the rest were acting like this was all meant to throw people out in the streets and ruin their lives. And no, no honesty in the back and forth. Lindsey Graham said basically the same thing about this play 19. 
we have incentivized people not to go to back to work. That is just, I just can't imagine the effect in South Carolina and other places when you realize you're getting $24 an hour on unemployment. So every employer in the state has to compete against a $24 an hour minimum, minimum wage now, I guess. It's more responsible to make sure that in unemployment insurance setting, you don't get more than you actually make because that does incentivize people to leave their employment. I'd like a vote on that. I think hopefully the body could come together. Here's what I think is is behind a lot of this debate right now. And this is why I played this through. It goes back to my wargaming of what the Democrat media and the Democrat Party wants now. They want lockdown because lockdown then lets them claim that they have the moral high ground. I mean, continued long term. I've said 15 day lockdown. Fine. But then we have to start thinking about what we do beyond that. And I'm right in the middle of this dealing with this. You know, I, I could get sick with this and deal with it, you know, deal with the bad stuff that has happened to people, even who are on the younger end. I'm not that young, but on the younger end who are healthy, just like anybody else. Um, but I do think that it's important that we keep America going. And I, I don't know why that's such a hateful thing to say to so many people. I'm not telling senior citizens to go back to work or to you know leave their homes or to go take risks or anything else. No. But I want to make sure there's an economy in place so that we can pay for the hundreds of thousands of ventilators that we're told we need now. So we can pay the people that are going to be transporting them and operating them. So we can pay for the people who are going to have heart attacks. Because guess what? There'll be a lot of them. Because there always are people having heart attacks over the next six months. It's not just about dealing with this virus. There are other things that have to be a part of the conversation. Other life and death issues. And I know every sometimes I get I get you know agitated and then I I rub my face and I realize gotta stop doing that Buck I'm trying not to at least I'm home unless Tallulah has I don't think they said that they they initially said that dogs can't get this and now they're saying that maybe they think I I don't know I I, I'm pretty sure dogs can't get this Um, I think we know that bats can Uh, you know and I know this is really this is not like it's not an important point but. I would bet any amount of money that bat soup doesn't even taste good. But people believe that there's some, uh, you know, mystical power to some of these animal potions that, uh, you know, they eat in some parts of the world, in China notably. Oh, boy. Um, But here's what I was saying about the war gaming and why the Democrats, I think, are so dug in on just create as, you know, they are the answer to this problem is stay home. The government's going to send you checks. Grocery stores will be stocked. Netflix will be on. Stay home. The government's going to send you checks three months, four months, five months. Guess what? If they can extend that into July or August, the economic devastation won't you won't really know in some ways until you try to get the economy going again. I mean, you'll see the unemployment numbers, everything else, but there'll also be a recognition of. Because what you're going to hear when things are really bad is, oh, no, we'll just turn this back on. People don't understand. It's not as easy as just turn it back on. But the economic devastation, if they push it further into the summer, and I do believe they're thinking of it this way, which I agree is disgusting, but I think this is, this is the mentality. Remember, they have been saying that Trump is a clear and present danger to all of us, to democracy. They've said that Trump could lead us into nuclear war with North Korea because he's so dumb. So if I believed that and I were a Democrat, wouldn't I see this now as an opportunity to do two things? Oh, I care so much about everybody that I don't want anybody to get sick from this, even though people, hundreds of thousands of people are are already sick around the world and 
tens of thousands are already sick here in America. And that's going to continue to happen as long as we have human beings who are moving around at all. Um, But they get to pretend to be the ones that care so much about life in this issue. But also they get to drive us further into an economic depression. And then the narrative becomes very similar in a sense, isn't it, to what happened in 2008. Barack Obama will unite us. You can see this coming together. Barack Obama came on the scene at a time when the U.S. economy was in free fall because of, we all know, the housing crisis, the you know, mortgage crisis and credit default swaps. But Obama's inspirational, completely vapid rhetoric, right? Hope and change and all this stuff. Inspirational posing and all this stuff that he did um, without any real background to suggest that he knows anything about the economy or anything else. And he was able to crush the Republican contender at the time because what happened? People were mad. The Republican Party was in charge. You wanted something else. Hoping change. What do you think? They know that Joe Biden doesn't know where he is right now. They know that Joe Biden is confused and old and belligerent and weird. They know all of this. They won't admit it publicly now. They were admitting it six months ago and they're hoping somebody younger and better would come along. But what do you think the narrative is going to be to restore the Democratic Party to power, to put them back in the position and and also keep in mind, maybe put them in power with a feeling of being uh, in a blank. You know, they have like a blank check. You know, the Democrats, what are their favorite president in in history really is FDR. So they they like people, you know, the New Deal, FDR. They're going to like the pull us out of a depression parallel there. And they're, well, actually, I think their favorite president in history is probably Barack Obama. But remember, it was also that he was pulling us out of a ditch that the Republicans drove us into. You see the narrative forming right now. If Trump is able to start turning the economy back on in 30, 60 days, and we start to see things, you know, doing a little bit better, and we're, you know, we, yes, we're still going to have more COVID-19 patients. Yes, there's still going to be a health emergency. But, you know, we're going to be all hands on deck to handle that, get people the best care we can. We've been staffing up, getting masks, you know, General Motors and these other major corporations are churning out equipment. And, you know, we're going to be doing these two things at the same time. Then all of a sudden it's the realization the Democrats will have that the, that Trump's poll ratings right now, which show that 60 percent of Americans approve what he's doing right now. They're not going to say, I don't want to put the crazy guy who looks like he's lost a couple of steps and no one's wanted to be president for the last 30 years other than him. I don't want to change things up, put him in charge. Trump's, Trump's handling this well. He's got this. You know that they are thinking about it this way. You know that there is a belief among Democrats that the longer they drag out the shutdown economy and the more terrified they make people, uh, the better the chances are for Joe Biden to become president of the United States in, in the next election. And they're thinking of, they are thinking about that. I know they shouldn't be. It's gross. But I, I promise you, you already know they are. And that's affecting their coverage. That's why they're asking Trump questions like how many people dying is OK with you? One of the dumbest questions I've ever heard in that room. And there are some doozies when it comes to dumb questions. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're also, as you know, building numerous hospitals and medical centers uh, throughout 
certain areas in New York. It's at the convention center, the Javits Convention Center. We're doing uh, four hospitals, and we're doing throughout the state four medical centers there, somewhat different. I want you to know that I'm uh, doing everything in my power to help the city pull through this challenge. I'm working very hard in New York. It's really uh, by far our biggest problem. Maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. But there's a lot of good, capable people working on it with us, and our teams are working very well with the state representatives. New York is the hardest hit by this by far, and the president is a born and raised New Yorker, just like me. Um, Dr. Fauci is also a born and raised New Yorker, by the way. And as I've told you, went to my high school, Regis High School here in New York City. I do believe that Donald Trump recognizes the scale of the threat from coronavirus to New York. And I think that he, he, he does love this town. He loves this city. It's his town, even though you know, 9 out of 10 New Yorkers politically don't vote for him, New York City people at least. Um, or maybe it's eight out of 10, but he loves this town. He cares about its people. And I, I think that he'll do everything in his power to help as much as he possibly can. There's an interesting dynamic playing out between Cuomo and Trump right now, where they've had a little bit of, there's been some public, not personal tension, but tension on response to this. Cuomo was saying that the ventilators uh, were not getting, they're not getting enough ventilators from FEMA and, you know, this is all about saving people. It's not about politics. Trump and his team are saying we have asked everybody who can make ventilators and they are moving as fast as they can. And we're not invoking the Defense Production Act because they're already producing. They're already doing what we would what we would tell them they have to do under the DPA. So why invoke? Well, there's no there's no need to invoke it. Right. Because you've already asked the companies that you want to try to help get this going they're complicated pieces of equipment it's not like look the face masks that people are building and you know i know mike lindell my pillow and other people are helping out that's wonderful those are obviously less complicated devices than ventilators and uh there's only there are only so many companies that could scale up fast enough to make ventilators here that there would be a difference and the trump administration is saying that they've already reached out to those companies and effectively this is this is underway right now We'll see in time, you know, how this shakes out, because to my earlier point about the narrative here uh, and what Democrats are hoping they can accomplish and, and what their political plans are with all of this. What if Cuomo and I, I know that we're told, oh, they would never try to replace Biden. Uh, if, if Cuomo becomes the standard bearer for the Democrat Party of how to handle this, because Joe Biden's stuff on the sidelines, it just looks like it looks like the guy who's sitting at home in his in his, you know, lazy boy with a big thing of popcorn and a beer who's yelling about how he's a better coach than like the guys in the Super Bowl or whatever. Right. I mean, Joe Biden, it doesn't it, it looks kind of pathetic when he did his little like this is what I would do press conference. Cuomo is on the on the front line and states, especially New York state right now, really matter if he starts to if he becomes even more of the national figure on this issue than he had been, I wonder if the rivalry between Trump and Cuomo, the political rivalry, once the storm, hopefully once the storm passes here of the surge in cases in New York, if it just becomes too apparent to everybody and the Democratic Party has to do some real thinking here, here's one option. You know, Biden, I know, has said that he I think he said he'd pick a woman for his vice president, but. Uh, that was before this crisis hit or right around the beginning of it. 
Um, Cuomo is vice president with Biden claiming that he's only going to do one term because of age and health reasons. But he's going to do a, a proper handoff to Cuomo. Now, look, this is spe- this, this is speculation, which I know is you know usually not worth that much. But I do think you need to watch the way this plays out between between Trump and Cuomo, um, because I think at some point Cuomo is going to turn on him. And that's going to be the moment when you realize it's gone political, no matter what happens in the week's end. I think I think Cuomo is is preparing for an ambush against this administration down the line, irrespective of how much Trump does. That's my estimation of what's going to happen here in this in this uh, in this town where I'm currently broadcasting. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Then you see the curve go down. And that's exactly what certain countries like China and South Korea have seen. Italy is not there yet. Italy got hit really badly, almost certainly, and I think this gets to your question about us here in the United States, is Italy got hit very badly because they had a large number of importations from China by Chinese tourists. And before they even knew what was going on, there was enough baseline people spreading that it essentially got out of hand and it became difficult for them, as good as they are, and they're very good, to be able to contain it in a way that is contact tracing, all that kind of thing. It was more mitigation. How do we deal with what we have? Mm. There you have perhaps the preeminent expert of the moment, Dr. Fauci, Regis grad, like yours truly, Dr. Fauci. You know, Regis Philbin actually did not go to Regis High School. He was named for it, though, because his father went there. So there's that. Um, But back to uh, what Dr. Fauci is saying. Dr. Fauci is telling everybody that the importation of Chinese tourists was what led, remember, the infection, SARS, MERS, other respiratory infections that actually have much higher, they, they do have really scary mortality rates, particularly I think it's SARS has a mortality rate that is, was terrifying, but it's such a bad disease that it's actually hard to spread. Uh, you only spread it when you have symptoms and people tend to, a large enough number of people tend to die from it that they're not able to spread it as easily. Um, so that's that's a scary way to look at these things. Right. But uh, Dr. Fauci is saying that the importation of Chinese tourists into Italy is what led to the out of control nature of the outbreak there. And once again, we return to China was a problem. Now, I've, I, I will say this and I hope that I can just say this now for the record so that later on, if I get attacked by the psychopaths of either Media Matters uh, or. Uh, what's that Twitter account that tries to get people deplatformed? I can't remember what it's called. It's run by, you know, true, evil, evil, vicious little lib sociopaths. When I'm talking about China being a problem, I am, for the record, talking about the Chinese Communist Party, not people who happen to be of Chinese descent, live in China, etc. I'm talking about the CCP. And I say that, you know, China caused issues here. It is the authorities in China that I'm referring to. Just like when I say Iran is evil, I'm not saying the Iranian people are evil. Quite the opposite. I have actually many Iranian friends. And I know that's always a thing people say when they're but it's really true. Uh, Iranians are a great people, wonderful culture. And they're actually natural. In many ways, the Iranian people are natural cultural allies of the West. It's the Iranian regime that is the enemy. 
Uh, same thing is true in China. The Chinese Communist Party has shown us that they are a true, not just a competitive economic and espionage and down the line military risk for us. They are a pandemic risk because they will not do what is necessary. They will not shut down the, the uh, wet markets. And they uh, there is also this. The Virology Institute that's 10 miles away from the first outbreaks that the Virology Institute of Wuhan, which has lost viruses in the past, I'm not I have I have zero proof. I cannot. But it is a heck of a coincidence. Right. I'm just saying it's a big it is a big coincidence. Right. That that's that's an honest take on it. But the importation of Chinese tourists is is where the outbreaks uh, can be traced to. And I want to note for all of you that while we're being told to listen to the experts as though that's self-evident who are the experts what are they telling us to do do the experts all agree what do the experts know about the next steps mark levine different name than the than somebody else who happens to do radio uh mark levine who is the chair of the new york city council of health Uh, wrote in powerful show of defiance of coronavirus this was the first week of february this is the new york new york city is getting crushed by this right now okay new york city is in very tough shape where i am and i know i've been speaking to people in law enforcement people in the health system here i'm on the phone all the time talking to people what's going on here our council of health chairman on the first week of february wrote the following on twitter put it out there for everybody to see in powerful show of defiance of coronavirus scare, huge crowds gathering in NYC's Chinatown for ceremony ahead of annual Lunar, Lunar New Year parade, chants of Be Strong Wuhan. If you are staying away, you are missing out. Th- this, is, this is the mayor in Jaws saying we, we're going to be open for Fourth of July weekend. This is, a, this is stunning, right? This is the epicenter of this. This is somebody, all they do is look at, look at public health issues and saying, come to a place where there's a maximum number of Chinese immigrants gathered to celebrate the Lunar New Year because there's a lot of travel during the lunar, Chinese Lunar New Year. A lot of millions and millions of people going to China, coming from China, uh, saying, come and gather in Chinatown to chants of Wuhan strong right as this virus is beginning to ravage China. And as we know, had already spread to the United States and elsewhere. And one of the ways it spread was by people from China coming here and to northern Italy. Why is New York City hit so badly along with northern Italy? We have a we have a large Chinese uh, population and a lot of flights back and forth to China. I went to China myself from New York City 12 months ago. Plane was full. Lots of travel going on, right? There's direct flights from uh, JFK to to Beijing and to Shanghai. So um, that's, I think, what what you you need to remember when everyone's yelling at you from the left. Listen to the experts. The experts in in journalism were at first saying that this was overblown, not a big deal. They were wrong. And now they're saying that it's Fox News' fault, which is just despicable. If anything, I mean, you know, Tucker Carlson has been one of the loudest, most prominent voices saying this is a big problem. This is a big problem. Pay attention. And you have people who are in the public health field who were telling you we're, we're giving you the worst. I mean, this is the worst advice for a New Yorker you could possibly have. Go gather in a huge crowd 
with lots and lots of not just people who are perhaps Chinese American, but Chinese immigrants here to celebrate the Lunar New Year from Wuhan province or from Wuhan city. The worst advice you could possibly. This guy's an expert. His whole he, he exists. His job exists to prevent people in New York from going through what we're going through right now. And he told you to do a month ago the worst possible thing. So what am, am I, I, I like to use, I like to use the, the powers of, of deduction, powers of reasoning that I have. Am I to just now, anytime an expert says anything, say, sir, yes, sir, you're an expert, sir. I always think it's so funny that the libs think it's in, it's a way to own conservatives on Twitter. So you're not an expert. Yeah, I'm living through this. I have skin in the game. I have opinions based on what's happening to me and the world around me. I'm listening to experts, but experts in this context are in an advisory role because all they're trying to tell you is information about a disease. And they also lack a lot of information about this disease. You know, they've, they've really been we've reached a point now where they kind of are just telling us I'm going to say this is true. And, you know, it's true. They're telling us pretty much the same things every day now. Social distancing, which I think we should just call distancing. Wash your hands, cover your mouth, wear masks. We need more gear. We need more equipment. Do they know what the mortality rate of the disease is? No. Do they know how to treat it other than to use a ventilator for you if your lungs uh, start to fail? No. Do they know what the actual R number is? And there's like R and then this is how they they measure how many people uh, one person infected will spread it to within a period of time. No. Uh, Are there conflicting numbers about all these things? Yes. Do they know how long this will last? I mean, do they know how much the warm weather will affect this? Ask an expert. Why warm weather affects the flu so much? They're, they have ideas. They, they don't know. They have some things to tell. They'll say that there's, you know, less. And people will say things that sound so obvious. Oh, obviously, it's because people are outside more. Really? How much, how much time have you spent in, oh, I don't know, you know, Dallas, as I have in the dead of summer, when people are stacked because we still have jobs Monday through Friday stacked in closed air-conditioned buildings. Oh, people are outside more. That's why there's no virus. Well, that's maybe an effect, but not with the... I mean, the drop-off in flu of the summer is massive. You can still get it, but it's, it's, it's pretty rare, comparatively speaking. Right? So, they, so I'm just trying to say that this worship of experts is really... It really comes from a both a a need on the left to be condescending to people that they disagree with, which is part of the leftist political culture, just the culture in general on the left, is to be condescending to people who disagree with you. It's not that they see things a little differently or they have other values that that compete against the values that a leftist is asserting. It's that they're dumb. This is what they think about Trump supporters, obviously, myself included, even though I, I sit there and I have so many leftists that argue with me and I think, in what way could you ever possibly think that you are somehow in a position to think that you're a lot smarter than me, lib. I, I, I do wonder that some because there's a lot of them out there and they're not very bright at all, but they have followings and blue checks. Um, but there's also, I think, a deep intellectual insecurity that comes from people who are not used to thinking for themselves. And you see this from college campus all the way through into adult life that you have libs who are used to having they parrot the ideas of people they think are smart and then their expectation is like you know a hamster getting the little pellet that people are going to say you're so smart smart and brave right smart and brave for being a lib and the moment someone challenges that 
they revolt against it because they like that feeling of I just I just get to believe these things and I'm a smart, good person. I mean, as a conservative, I'm actually quite comfortable with skepticism about really everything. I ask questions about all of my beliefs constantly. And I have been willing to admit that there are some things that I I change my mind on frequently. You know, I, I I go back and forth on the death penalty, for example. And I'm not somebody that so you never hear me lecture, you know, if you don't believe in the death penalty, you know, if there are other things that I know are moral certainties. And that's that comes from a lot of, of reasoning and time thinking about it as well. Um, but on listening to experts, I just think this is this has become the same way that there was a march for science, which was really a march for climate change and abortion. Right. But they, they call it a march for science. Full of people that know nothing about science, that don't read books, that aren't intellectual, that don't have anything to add to a conversation about any of these things. They, they adopt these poses um, because of what it makes their followers, their supporters feel. And that's why the I believe the experts. Well, there were a lot of experts who were wrong here. Were these experts? Were, were there were there any of these experts who in January when this when this virus, you know, we, we first saw the Wuhan shutdown, I think, end of January. We're, we're experts then telling us we need to shut down America now, right now. Now, you could say, Buck, they didn't have the information. They didn't have the data to support that kind of a decision. I'd say, sure, OK. But you're also then admitting that the experts are just doing the best they can with what they've got. And they don't know everything. And they miss really important things. Never mind the, the imbeciles in the New York City you know, health department that were telling people, yeah, go hug somebody from Wuhan province. You know, Wuhan, Wuhan, hashtag Wuhan strong. Everything's cool. Don't worry about it. And now I walk around here and no one's on the streets. Businesses are shutting down. People are terrified. Morgues are overrun. Hospital wards are overrun. Do you think anybody in the New York City health department is going to be held accountable? The experts that are paid a salary by my outrageous taxes here. Do you think that they're going to be held responsible for that? No. So, you know, consensus is not science, as you know, and don't allow yourself to get swept up in this, uh, this tyranny of ex experts mindset that so many people, they, they take this false sense of security from it. There are experts who disagree about any, any number of things. So what does that mean? One's an expert and one's not. Listen to the experts is like having somebody who walks around just yelling, solve the problem, solve the problem. OK, how? Solve the problem. <laughs> this is, you know, listen to the experts. OK, well, experts disagree. So now what I'm supposed to do, use my critical thinking faculties and approach problems as honestly and clearly as I can and try to bring some character and decency and integrity to the process, too. Well, I think that's what we are doing here, my friends. And we're not going to stop just because libs have an intellectual insecurity and orange man bad, which overrides all their other thoughts, too. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Um, organization praising China for its transparency and leadership on their response to the pandemic. You know, I, I can't comment on that because, I mean, that I, I don't have any viewpoint into it. I mean, I don't I don't even know what your question is. Can I, can I follow up on that phone call, please? Welcome to the team. Yeah, I, you can kind of catch that at the end. A reporter asks a stupid question to Fauci. The World Health Organization is praising China's response. Because the World Health Organization is kind of like the UN of health, which means it's there's a lot of nonsense politics. And 
they're asking Fauci. He's like, what? What are you even asking me? And then Trump comes out and says, welcome to the club or welcome to the team. He's like, yeah, this is what they do. They ask dumb, dumbass questions from dumbass journalists who think that they're better than other people who think that they're better than Trump and all of the other people that are around him. And then they pretend that they're doing some great service for us. What do you think of what Dr. Fauci is now supposed to get into some political spat with with China? He's supposed to get into some kind of a fight with with their government. He's worried about us. He's worried about what's going on here. And it's it's amazing to watch our own media really take the side of Chinese propaganda against this country especially given what we're going through right now. There's, there is no revulsion whatsoever that is detectable from the mainstream media about China lying about this and then trying to blame us for it. We would not be in this position. I would not be stuck here in a, uh, in a small apartment in New York City that I basically can't leave except to take the dog outside if it weren't for the actions of officials in China deciding that their grip on power... And saving face was more important than saving not just lives of the Chinese citizens, lives of people around the world. That is a fact. Journalists are not upset about this. Just like they, were, they weren't upset when Trump pointed out that China was ripping us off. He was right. The Chinese manufacturing of American goods for strategic, you know, when it comes to uh, strategic items was a problem. He was correct. I mean, you look at a lot of these issues and you say, are, are journalists... Here's really the question that you have to you have to pose. Do American journalists believe that their work ultimately should be patriotic or do they really believe that their work should be whatever is of immediate career benefit to them and and, and supports their worldview, which tends to be overwhelmingly negative about this country and its actions. Do journalists think that they have an obligation to patriotism in this country? I think the answer for most of them is no, they don't. They might say that they are patriots or they have patriotism, but do they have an obligation to put patriotism above their own political bias? Do they have an obligation to elevate the United States above its rivals because they understand that America is a better country, a more moral, ethical humane country than china and the chinese communist party i i, I really want to know what the answer I, I i have my sense of the answer but i'd be very curious to ask journalists this in a in a contest between america and china do our journalists side with america no they think they side with what they view as the truth thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iheart radio app or wherever you get your podcasts roll call time everybody this is where we get to hear from all of you bruce and mark how are you doing how are you doing in quarantine by the way you all right you got enough mac and cheese i'm going i have plenty of mac and cheese that's the only thing i could get that's good though yeah mac and cheese is always a treat you know it is I've had a very tough time getting gluten-free mac and cheese recently. There are some very good brands, actually, that are pretty widespread for gluten-free mac. It's not that hard. It's rice pasta instead of normal pasta, and then the rest of it's all the same. Uh, but there's been a run on it. So I think my gluten-free brothers and sisters have, like me, decided that you want to really have a good store of mac and cheese going on. And I've been adding some bacon because I had some frozen bacon. I've done that, too. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, yeah. Huh. I'm going to tell you, you know what else is a nice little trick? 
And you might call this a buck fat kid maneuver, but that's fine. Um, you take a little bit of ham and you, you don't want to just throw it in there. You want to grill up that ham a little bit. It's very similar to what you're doing with bacon, but you grill up, the, especially if it's like a honey maple ham. And then you cook the mac and cheese as you normally would and then throw your griddled uh, honey maple ham in with that mac and cheese. It is magnifico. It does sound good. Yeah, I'm just... It's like a little I'm, pancetta, even. Ooh, mm. I love the pen. Look at you getting with the fancy Italian meats. Well, I'm going grocery shopping later. I'm finally going to venture out, so I'm thinking yeah. of stuff. Are you wearing a face mask? No, I don't have one. Yeah. And I don't want to buy them. The healthcare workers need them a lot more than I do. There we go. Producer Mark doing his part for America. Uh, yeah, I don't have one either. I've got gloves, but, you know, come on. I'm just going to wash. I, I wash my hands now. Uh, like I'm in some kind of a competition for who can be the most thorough. One important point, just for the folks out there, and I'm actually being serious about this, keep your nails short. One thing that people don't tend to realize is, uh, and I've, I've read about this, this is from the, the experts, it's not just my, my belief. Oh, also, it's not a good time to have like press-on nails or any of that kind of stuff. It is very easy for uh, bacteria and viruses to get under your nails and it's really hard to, if your nails are kind of long, it's really hard to scrub that stuff. How, how many times do you take soap and go under your nails? It's right. Makes sense. Almost keep, never. Yeah. Keep your nails short. Even if you can't see, this is not about dirt. Usually people say, oh, I'll, I'll like use a nail clipper to get the dirt out. No, 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 no. This is about viruses. You got to get clean under there. Keep your nails short. Keep your fingertips clean. Um, all right. Facebook.com slash. Oh, well, I'll come back to this. I got a question for producer Mark's viewing habits in a second. We got Katie up who writes, uh, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton's how you write in. And we're getting a lot of message from you guys. We, I, I read them at night now. It's like very comforting for me to be able to hear from all of you across the country, especially because, uh, I, like I said, I'm in the middle of ground zero. This is the worst. I'm in the worst hit place in the United States, which right now feels like the worst hit place other than Italy in the whole world um, for this virus. So hearing from all of you across the country is very, very appreciated. And I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I really do. Katie, uh, hey, Buck, I totally agree with you. When they said flatten the curve, I knew it would widen the curve. While this plan might keep facilities from being too crowded, it never guaranteed that people would not get the virus eventually. I never understood the long-term goal or plan. This is what I keep saying. We're going to have to accept a future in which there's going to be some elevated risk of contracting the virus or else we just have society shut down for months and months and months on end. It's not going away. So flatten the curve inherently means that you have to accept that people are going to go back to work and uh, there will be a an, an elevated risk from doing so. OK, that's that's all I'm saying. That's all I've been saying all along. And, and I'm right. But, you know, the psycho libs are out in full force and they yell at people like me. Um, let's see. Well, hold on a second. Do we have are, some of this looks like it's from it's from. Uh, OK, here we go. Matthew. Hey, Buck, I work at a Walmart distribution center. I just want uh, I just want you to know we're going to keep your groceries coming and not let America down. Our management has started to point out the shift perspective and how people view our job and how we should. I never thought I'd be in a position of importance, and I'm so honored to keep America's food coming. Shields high. That's awesome, Matthew. Thank you for understanding that we really mean it. I mean, you are keeping by working at a Walmart distribution center right now. You are keeping this country from panicking. 
Okay, you could decide that you want to stay home and eat mac and cheese, too. You could decide that you want to be subjected to this virus, too. You, Walmart distribution center workers, people that are I've been talking about all week, delivering, delivering food, delivering groceries, UPS, postal service, truck drivers, longshoremen, anybody engaged in that essential commerce right now. And I, you know, and if you, by the way, if you're part of this, this chain, I saw recently people talking more and more about, about sanitation workers, you know, they got a tough enough job in general and we need to get our sanitation workers more PPE too. You know, we got to make sure that they're protected as they're doing this job. They're coming into contact with all this. They're touching. Remember, touching stuff is how you get this, really. Yep, yeah, someone can cough on you. But if, if you're you know, rummaging through things, we got to make sure they have all the I know they have gloves, but they're usually not medical grade kind of gloves. And we got to make sure that sanitation workers are protected. I mean, there are a lot of people who are still out there doing what they uh, what they can. And, you know, Matthew God bless you, man. And it's it is absolutely true. And everybody that I know who I talk to you about this feels the same way. Those of you who are still out there who are not in self-quarantine, who are doing essential jobs right now, you are keeping this country from falling apart. And you are in that unique position now where you get to keep your shield high for all the rest of us. Andrew, shields high. I was on vacation last week. Horrible week to choose in hindsight. And at your recommendation, my wife and I decided to give Parks and Recs a try. We skipped season one. That's the right move. Just skip season one. It's not good. And in two days, we binged three seasons of the show. It was so good, my wife told me she got me two T-shirts with Ron Swanson's face in quotes. It is literally the funniest show ever. Thank you for mentioning it like you do. Any thoughts on the show, Superstore? That might be our next binge. Um, Andrew, that's a great idea. I mean, we, we got a lot of tech challenges. I mean, producer Mark right now is like... You know, he's he's going to have to turn into an octopus with like hands for eight different things. And I'm doing four hours of radio a day. I guess it wouldn't be hands, right? It would be a tentacles, whatever an octopus has. I think they're tentacles. Yeah. Yeah. Tentacle. If it was hands, that would be quite a scientific discovery, actually. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, we're, we're doing a lot here. I am going to get a Shields High podcast going. Uh, we're, I'm going to start it this weekend. So it's going to be the Siege of Malta, which you guys have heard me talk about before, but I'll do a, a good version of it. Um, so give you guys something to listen to on break and, uh, I shouldn't say on break on quarantine. Sorry. You're talking about vacation. We're in quarantine here. Uh, and Ron Swanson for this audience, if you've never seen the show parks and rec, I'd be willing to bet a lot of you that have not seen the show. If you are listening to this radio show or this podcast, you haven't seen parks and rec. I would wager that a lot of you would decide that Ron Swanson is your favorite TV character of all time, all time. What do you think, producer Mark? Fair prediction? I, I have not watched Parks and Rec. But I will I mean, say... I'm, a, I'm actually, I'm actually in shock right now. I know. You're in, you like The Office, right? I do love The Office. Well, then you got dude. You and uh, Mrs. Mark on Netflix, Parks and Rec, skip to season two. She will like it as well. It's very, like, snackable. It's 30-minute episodes, so, you know, watch an episode or two. It's, like, the, it's, it's amazing. It's, the Office is actually better... But it's really close, I, I think. I can't even get Ariel to watch The Office. What is going on? I know. Uh, I, I just, we need to have her sit in yeah. with you. We need to have a we need to have a conversation, all of us, with Team Buck, Ariel, Mark. You know, she needs to watch The Office. This is crazy. I will say, though, that Superstore, the, the other show Andrew asked about, fantastic. It's like The Office in a Walmart. 
Oh, it's I great. never even heard of that. I thought he meant a Teen Buck Superstore. No, no, no. It is a TV show on NBC. It's on Hulu, I believe, as well. Maybe even Netflix, but it is fantastic. Hilarious. Really? Yeah. Love it. So, you know, the, the next show that I'm going to start, I just finished season five of Peaky Blinders, which I thought started out kind of weird, but really hit its stride. Uh, Peaky Blinders is one of my 10 favorite shows of all time. Peaky Blinders is amazing. Great binge watching show. I Look, sometimes you're not going to catch the dialogue, but it's a bunch of like, you know, ticked off British gangster dudes. You know, you kind of just British guys. You know, the language comes from there, but there's a lot of variations in it in England. Um, you don't have to necessarily catch every word they say to know what's going on. You know, they're probably, you know, plotting to stab somebody. So you, you'll, you'll pick it up from context. It's a great show, though. Uh, I finished season five. So there's none left of that. I got to get to we got Ozark. When's Ozark Friday? Yeah, that's Friday. We got Ozark coming on Friday. And also uh, I have season five of the last kingdom which i love if you're into vikings and sword fighting my brothers who i'm who are amazing guys they make fun of me and say that i like any any show that has um mead wenches and sword fighting or something like that and you know dudes with beards going Arr! it's 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 true <laughs> that's, that's a real thing i do like those shows uh game of thrones by the way according to streaming numbers is the single most streamed show i think around the world right now Really? I think I saw that. Everyone likes blood and me. gore during their quarantines? Yeah, but like if you're looking for something that's complete escapism and that there's a lot of, it's a lot of Game of Thrones episodes. So that'll keep you busy for a long time. Um, Ryan writes, Buck, thank you so much for what you do. You're one of the few sources I trust these days. I recommend you constantly. Currently on deployment 13. Wow. Couldn't do this without Team Buck. You guys get me through. Keep your head high, brother. We'll get through this. Brian, thank you. 13 deployments. My word, that is incredible. Sir, your, your dedication to country and your courage and honor are an inspiration to every person hearing this. My, my gosh. Thank you, sir, for what you do. And uh, I'll, hey, man, as long as you're willing to listen, I'm honored to have you listening. So we'll keep it going. Kelly. Buck, my husband and I listen to you so regularly, we're practically a member of the family, or you're practically a member of the family. We often say to each other, did you hear Buck say so-and-so today? I heard an idea on the radio today that was terrific, and I thought I wanted to get your take on it. The suggestion is that all banks nationwide could postpone mortgage and car payments for one month and just add the payment to the end of the contract. We taxpayers have bailed out the banks before. Maybe it's time they help the consumer. Kelly, that is a great idea, and I do believe it is happening in some places uh, I think California got an agreement from hundreds of the main financial institutions to delay mortgage payments for, I think it's 90 days. And Bank of America, on a month-to-month basis, you can request, uh, you can request a delay. So they, and, then, and there's no end, so they might delay you for six months. Or, and this is, this is what we need. I mean, we need people to not feel like they're going under because look a lot of bills and the economy is all about are you responsible do you pay your obligations do you make good decisions with the money you have if you don't have money right now for groceries or rent or any anything else that's you know you need you know medical uh, uh you know prescriptions or anything like that if you don't have that money we all understand it is in no way your fault it is in no way decisions that you have made you know assuming you lost your job because of coronavirus or assuming your business has dried up or any of these things that are happening so that needs to be reflected in the way 
the economy goes forward while this is happening. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, roll call continuing here. Todd writes in, hey, Buck, just stumbled onto your show on Pluto TV. Needed some free TV. I'm out of a job since January 1st, so I canceled my YouTube. $50 a month, but I found you. I used to watch you in the blaze years ago. I'm hooked from today's show. First time I watched very good, unique points. Todd, welcome back to Team Buck, man. Great to have you. Honored. Um, sorry to hear that you uh, are in between gigs right now, but hey, my friend, millions and millions and millions of your fellow Americans are right now, so you are certainly not alone. And uh, just keep your shield high. You'll get back on your feet. Keep doing the right things. Make good decisions. Take care of those around you. Pray. Get enough sleep. You'll be good. Aaron. Hey, Buck, do you get the feeling that someone on the Trump team listens to your show? No sooner did you do a podcast expressing that wartime Trump should open up businesses, even with a higher casualty rate. Does Trump actually state he wants everything to open up by Easter? Keep up the good work and for the love of God, stay healthy. Uh, Thank you so much, Aaron. I do know that um, a number now it's it's tough to say if they if they listen every day. I know that people there are people in the White House who are aware of this show. Uh, and listen, not not like Trump, obviously, but there are other people uh, who work at the White House who listen. I know there are people in there are members of Congress who listen. Um, I'm trying to think if there have been senators who have been part, who have been dipping in and out of Team Buck for a while. So the answer is I, I don't know how far and wide some of the thoughts on this show will spread. But um, yes, I was willing to I, I, I was part of the group of conservatives who were saying we're going to have to get ready for things to shift toward activity and talk about additional risk that that will that will pose uh, because we need to get the economy going. I was part of that. And man, we got we got attacked by the left. But it's true. And we're right. So being right and saying things that are true is more important than having crazy libs like you. Um, Also, some of the biggest conservative websites in the country. I know I won't name names here, but some of the biggest conservative websites in the country have people who listen to this show on uh, on one and a half times speed and just pick out different things and, you know, pick out stories and stuff. Not not meaning that they go to me for stories, but takes on stories and uh, which is great. Look, I'm happy to I'm happy to help the movement in every way that I can. And since now the podcast goes up every day by about three Eastern, it means that people can all listen and drive time. And that means that it's a more level playing field for podcasting um, with some of the other people out there on the right who are doing podcasts. Because before, when we weren't, when we were delaying the podcast, it just was too, it was late in the day for a lot of people. Well, now you got no excuse, team. You got to listen to the podcast every day. It comes out at three. John, I like where POTUS is going that anyone leaving New York City metro area has to quarantine for 14 days. I'm concerned that Governor Cuomo is going to keep upstate under the same restrictions as NYC despite not having an issue. Well, John, I think your concern is well founded because the idea that a lot of these governors and mayors are running with is that if you only lock down the urban areas, the suburban areas and the rural areas around them will become where people run to. So it is going to be statewide. There's going to be statewide restrictions that go into it that are that are in effect and continue to be in effect. Maria Buck and producer Mark. Literally laughed out loud and spewed high-quality H2O through my kitchen when producer Mark said 65% of your apartment was going to be hair soon. Thanks for keeping things alive and funny. Well, producer, I mean, uh, well, Maria, producer Mark, I'm sure, is still getting a chuckle out of giving you such a chuckle. So 
You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to cut my own hair in a few weeks or else the swoop is going to be so out of control. It's going to be like a science fiction creature that consumes everything. But that'll be a conversation for another day. All my friends, give yourself some space today. Relax. Deep breath. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this together. We just think about those days when you get to open up all those aspects of your life that are currently under quarantine. We all get to come together, drink, barbecue, celebrate America. It's going to be good. We got to get there first, though. Until then. Shields high.